0: If you would, open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 33. Genesis chapter 33. Last Sunday, we looked at two particular actions in the life of Jacob, one which involved God directly, one which involved Esau. But in both, we saw grace. The beginning of chapter 32 gives us... uh, I think some insight, it sort of sets the stage for us to understand what is going on and hopefully help uh, Jacob understand what was going on. At the end of chapter 31, uh, Jacob and Esau make a covenant, they go their separate ways, Laban goes back home, and Jacob is now continuing south, okay, okay. At the beginning of the chapter, we read, Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. As I said, I think these verses are critical to understanding what comes next. Jacob is returning home. He's left Paddan Aram. He's made a covenant with Laban and Gilead. He's still on the east side of the Jordan River. There he is met by the angels of God. we're told very little about this encounter how you know how it took place, uh, its purpose, its duration. However, one significant fact emerges and that is that in the name that Jacob gives the place, Mahanaim, it means two camps. That Jacob and his family are one camp and he finds out that parallel to them, mirror to them, is a camp of God's messengers, God's angels. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. And that's That's why he gives it the name, a name that is two camps, which implies that there is always a camp of God next to our camp. That as we go through life, somehow we imagine that we're on our own, you know, and and things, particularly for Jacob, are going to get kind of scary. But God wants to reassure him that, in fact, he is there with him uh, through his messengers, through his angels, And it's more than just that the angels are with him, but this is the nature of reality. We tend to say, oh, I can see things, I can hear, I can touch things, those are the real things, but there are things that we cannot see that are just as real, and Jacob learns that in this particular case. In the verses that followed, we saw last week that there's a pattern of Jacob planning and then Jacob praying, then he plans and then he prays. He's getting ready to meet his brother Esau. And the last time they saw each other was 20 years ago. And at that point, Jacob had stolen the blessing. Esau had promised that when, once their dad died, he was going to kill him. Um, it's been 20 years. Is Esau still mad? Does he still hold a grudge? Does he still want to kill his twin brother, Jacob? So Jacob sends messengers. This is his plan. Um, But Esau doesn't answer the messengers. Instead, as the messengers, he sends them back. The messengers say, uh, Esau is coming and he has 400 men with him. I mentioned this last week. One commentator said, nothing could be more ominous than Esau's silence and his rapid approach in force. So Jacob's dreading this, this meeting with his twin brother after all these years. But another meeting takes place before that, one that is unexpected, one that was not planned, one that he could not have anticipated. He sends his family ahead, he's left alone, and then we are told there a man wrestled with him until daybreak. I cannot stress this enough. Jacob did not initiate the contact. Jacob is alone, and suddenly a man is wrestling him. Man doesn't box him or threaten him or whatever. He grabs him, he's wrestling with him, and Jacob has no alternative but to continue wrestling to somehow get away. Um, we're not told how this started. It must have been strange to be alone, and then suddenly a strange person grabs you and starts wrestling with you. And it goes on. It isn't just like a one-minute or five-minute thing. It goes on till daybreak. And finally at that point, The person who is wrestling with Jacob who cannot get the advantage touches uh, Jacob's hip and his hip goes out of, um, it's dislocated. And in fact, for the rest of his life, uh, Jacob would walk with a limp because of the dislocation of his hip. The man says to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. And in an amazing twist that I think even Jacob himself could not anticipate, Jacob says, no, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That is, at some point during the night of wrestling, Jacob came to realize this is not an ordinary person. This is not just some strange person who has wrestled with me. Uh, This is something that comes from God. And therefore, he wanted to be blessed by him. I mentioned this last week but if you wrestle with God how long do you anticipate that will last? I mean I mean, God can snap his fingers and we're dead I mean and yet this wrestling match goes on until daybreak and why is that? Well I think it was to teach Jacob a life changing lesson the struggle is part of the learning process there and if if the man had simply defeated him, then Jacob would not have learned the lesson that he needed to. But Jacob, I think, has begun to learn the lesson and says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And this is what God had wanted to hear all along. God had told his mother while he was still in the womb that the older would serve the younger, that he was, in fact, the one God had chosen. And yet, At this point, he is 90 years old. All these years, Jacob has been scheming, coming up with plans to somehow get what God had promised him freely. One author says, the blessing this time was untarnished, both in the taking and the giving. It was his own uncontrived and unmediated. No tricking his dad into getting the blessing. No selling a bowl of stew to his brother to get the birthright. This is something that is given freely and he accepts it freely as well. He's given a new name. He's given the name Israel. And as I mentioned last week, it's a verbal name, just as Jacob is. Esau means hairy and his other name, Edom, means red. So it's just like a noun. But Jacob means one who grasps the heel or one who deceives. And Israel means, what does it mean? He strives with God He strives with God So there's an It's a verb It's an action It's ongoing It isn't simply a noun as a name Jacob won the wrestling match If you wish Because the man blessed him But he limped for the rest of his life It was in a sense A costly victory But it was in fact a time of grace Jacob named the place He had named the first place Mahanaim Now he names this Peniel He says I've seen God face to face And I've, I lived I survived So there's great grace here Then we come to the next chapter And here we see grace as well And I, I won't retell the story But simply to read Uh, verses three and four, he himself, that is Jacob, went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, and he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And here is great reconciliation. Jacob doesn't know, is is Esau going to kill me? But in fact, they are reconciled. And so in these two meetings, Jacob experiences God's grace and reconciliation with his brother. When Jacob left, because his brother wanted to kill him, uh, he had an experience. He had a dream of a stairway going to heaven. And there was a threefold promise. Uh, I am with you, I will keep you, and I will bring you back to this land. That is, I will accompany you, I will protect you, and I will bring you home. And Jacob had experienced this, whether he recognized it or not. Um, God had kept him. He made it all the way to Paddan Aram and there he married Leah and Rachel. His father-in-law employed him and he became quite prosperous. Um, But things started to go sour. At the beginning of chapter 31, Laban and his sons are no longer happy with Jacob. They feel like he has taken advantage of them. They had, Laban had planned to take advantage of him, and it sort of backfired. Um, and so the Lord said to him, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So there's that promise. First of all, at Bethel, with the stairway to heaven... I will take care of you. I'll be with you. I'll bring you back. And then when he, gets, when he decides, maybe I should, it's time to go home. It's been 20 years. God says, I will be with you. He explains this to his two wives, to Leah and to Rachel. That God said to him, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. So all these positive messages, that God says, I'll be with you, I'll take care of you, now it's time to go back. And then in wrestling with the men uh, all night, and finally says, you have struggled with God and with men, you have overcome. Then he meets Esau, and they are reconciled. So one would say, so Jacob is on the right path, he's on the straight and narrow, things are going well. At this point Jacob should trust God He knows that God will take care of him And that's not what happens It's not what happens It starts With the meeting with Esau They're reconciled So that's wonderful But if you remember Esau had sent on animals ahead To sort of try to bribe his brother Into accepting him And not killing him And Uh, Esau said, um, what do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, he said, Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Now, I'm reading something into the text that perhaps is not there. Um, but it seems to me that on some level, Jacob is still afraid of Esau. He's still trying to bribe Esau. Yeah, they hugged, they kissed, they wept, all that, you know. Everything. Yeah, but... Maybe Esau might at one point remember And then try to kill me So here please take these gifts Esau says I don't need them I have plenty But Jacob insists And he says for to see your face Is like seeing the face of God I find this to be an amazing statement But he has seen the face of God Wrestling with the man all night He found grace Now he has found grace and reconciliation With his brother Two sides of the same coin Grace, grace, grace and yet Jacob is trying to buy that grace by bribing his brother with these animals. And he is still afraid, is, is seen in, the, in what follows. If you look at verses 12 to 16, then Esau said, let us be on our way, I'll accompany you. But Jacob said, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard, just one day all the animals will die. So let my lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me and that of the children until I come to my lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir if you think about what we've read earlier and early uh, other Sundays, uh, Jacob traveled 360 miles in 10 to 13 days when he left Laban. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, he's like, oh, we, we can't go that fast um, because, you know, the children are young and the cows are nursing and the, and the ewes are nursing. It's like, wait a minute, you were able to make 360 miles in 10 to 13 days, that's 27 to 36 miles a day, and now suddenly you can't go south to Seir, where your brother is? No, he's afraid. He is afraid. Esau's offer, I think, is very generous. Jacob is coming back into Canaan. He's a stranger. There are marauders there are people, and if you're not a citizen of a particular town, you're fair game. So here is Esau with his four hundred men. Boy, I think I would accept that. I mean, they would provide protection, and Jacob refuses. And then he says, "Okay, let me leave some men with you," and Jacob refuses even that. And what does Jacob do? He does not obey God. If you look at verse number 18, that's, uh, verse 17. So Esau goes down to Seir, which is Edom, which is near the Dead Sea. Okay. And Jacob is up near the Sea of Galilee, but on the east side of the Jordan. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth, which is booths, the festival of booths. Sukkot uh, in modern Hebrew. Um, Esau goes south. Jacob is supposed to go south to see his father, his kinsman. And instead he goes north. He goes to Sukkoth. He doesn't go to his relatives. God, he, Jacob prayed, O oh God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, O oh Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't go back to his... He, in fact, it's not a lot north, but he goes north, he goes away from where God had told him to go. It is a backward step, both geographically as well as spiritually. This was not his original plan. This is not his original intent. Um, When he left... Had an Aram we read that he put his children and his wives on camels and he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan so when he left Laban he was going home he was going back to Isaac's place and suddenly he wrestles with God and is given a new name he is reconciled to his brother and he decides not to go south He's not going to Isaac's place, I mean, you don't have to know geography to know that something is wrong here. He stays on the east side of the Jordan River, that is Sukkoth, and I would argue he stayed there for a while because he built a place for himself and he made shelters for his livestock. It sounds like he's settling down. This isn't a temporary situation. I hope I will be able to show you in a bit that he stayed there for a number of years. Not days or weeks or months, but years. The narrative picks up in verse number 18. After Jacob came from and Aram, He arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. Just a side note, this is the first place in Canaan that Abram came to when he left Ur of the Chaldees. He came into Canaan and uh, stopped near Shechem. Okay. What we find here is a mixture of belief and unbelief. Finally, he's on the west side of the Jordan River. He is in what we now know as The Holy Land. Okay. But it is a compromise. Because in fact Jacob is supposed to go to Bethel. To the place where God appeared to him in a dream. He settles in Shechem. And he buys land. I have a problem with this. The only time that Abraham bought land. Was for a burial place for his wife Sarah. And then he himself was buried there as well. Um, But he bought land, verse number 19, for a hundred pieces of silver. He bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. And yet at the same time, look at verse number 20. He still believes. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe, Israel. That is God, the God of Israel. Israel. It is a mixture of belief and unbelief The nature of compromise It it brings things together That should not go together Obedience and disobedience Yes he worships God But he shouldn't be in Shechem in the first place In fact he should be Much farther south He should be at his father's place And he is not And there were severe consequences For his disobedience He paid a dear price For his unbelief As I said earlier in the series, this isn't a matter of karma, okay? But it is a result of the choices that Jacob made. Now we come to chapter 34. And one of the books that I used in preparing the series, in fact, it was the book that I wanted to use, skips over chapter 34. The author says, we pass over the sad record Of the intervening chapter Asking our readers to turn to it For themselves And indeed it is a very Very dark Part of Jacob's life Verse 1 Now Dinah The daughter of that Le- the daughter Leah Had born to Jacob Went out to visit the women of the land uh, Before we move on Dinah, as far as we know, is Jacob's only daughter, okay? She is born to Leah after Leah had six sons, okay? So she is uh, the youngest. She's probably about the same age as Joseph, Um, which means when they leave and Aram, she's about six or seven years old, okay? Now she goes to visit with the women of Shechem, I would assume that she was also A woman at this point She's not a kid She might be a teenager Mid to late teens uh, Which if you do the math If, they, if she was seven When they left Padan Aram That means Jacob was in Sukkoth For maybe a decade Instead of obeying God And going back to Isaac He stayed in Sukkoth And now instead of doing that He crosses the Jordan River That's a good thing but then he doesn't go south as God had instructed him. So she went out to visit the women of the land, which would seem, as I said, to indicate she's now a woman and she wants to hang out with them and you know, find out what they do and all the various things. But then disaster strikes. Verse 2, When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and violated her. Various translations try to avoid the harsh language here. Um, ESV says he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. The King James, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. Um, The reality is that Shechem raped Dinah, Jacob's only daughter. But what follows this act of violence seems much less violent. Verse 3, his heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. In modern language, we would say Shechem had fallen in love with Dinah and he wanted to marry her. He tells his father, get me this woman, get me this girl. Um, Somehow arrange a marriage between him and Dinah. Verse 5 When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the field with his livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they had heard what had happened. They were filled with grief and fury. Because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. It seems really strange to me, but her brothers seem far more outraged by this than her dad, than Jacob. And I would suggest to you that maybe Jacob was outraged, but he was also fearful. Don't make us think, and we'll see in a few minutes, Uh, but the brothers are outraged that this has happened to their sister. They're strangers in the land, yes, that's true. They don't have legal standing. Um, but the brothers are determined to do something about this where Jacob is, you know, doesn't want to rock the boat. So Hamor Shechem's father makes the appeal in verse 8. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. The appeal says, hey, you guys can intermarry with us. It's like, wait a minute. Did not Isaac and Rebekah send Jacob to Paddan Aram to get a wife from there? Don't marry a Canaanite woman. And Hamor says, hey, you can marry our daughters. And then he says, live here, trade here. Shechem was a big trading center at that time. Acquire property here. That is, prosper here. Do you remember the story of Abraham when he came back from rescuing uh, the people from Sodom and Gomorrah? And the king said, here, you take all the booty. Just give us the people. And Abraham's like, no, I don't want you to be able to say, we made Abraham rich. And Hamor, in a sense, is doing the same thing. Stay here, get rich here. Let my son marry your daughter. Then Shechem himself makes the appeal in verse number 11. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like And I'll pay whatever you ask Only give me this girl as your wife In a word name your price I'll pay it I want to marry Dinah Just name the price And I will give it to you Now her brothers Respond Verse 13 Because their sister Dinah Had been defiled Jacob's brothers replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to him, "We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will give you we will give our consent to you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters our, for ourselves." We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you do not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposals seem good to Hamor and Shechem, and his son Shechem. In their deceitfulness, the price that Jacob's sons, Dinah's brothers ask, is not a price at all. It is the sign of the covenant. It is a sign between God and his people, first given to Abraham, then to Isaac, now to Jacob and his sons. Um, They're taking something that is sacred, a sign of an agreement between God and his people, and they will use it as an instrument of violence. So Shechem, yeah, he'll go for this. Verse number 19, the young man who was the most honored of all his father's household lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak with their fellow townsmen. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will consent to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? Let us grant our consent to them and they will settle among us. All the men of the city went out of the city gate, all of the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem and every male in the city was circumcised. Shechem has to sell his fellow townspeople the men listen you, you've got to be circumcised and if you do that he sells it as we will become rich everything they have won't their livestock become ours their property all their animals we will sort of swallow them up so the men of, of Shechem are like yeah that sounds like a good deal the incentive is prosperi- uh, material prosperity. And so they agreed to it. So I would say on one hand, not only are Jacob's sons being deceitful, but so is Shechem. And what happens after this is murder. Verse 25. Three days later, while all the men or all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attack the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and went out in the, f- and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children taking as plunder everything in the houses. Two of Dinah's brothers, they have the same mother, Leah, her second and third son, Simeon, which means heard because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me you also. And then Levi, the third son, which means attached, now my husband will become attached to me. They went into the city while all the men are recovering from being circumcised. They're somewhat incapacitated, and they go in and they kill all the men of the city. Including Hamor and Shechem. And apparently Dinah has been taken into Shechem's house. They take her out and bring her home. Simeon and Levi do the killing, but the other brothers participate in looting and taking all that belonged to the people of Shechem. Their flocks and herds and donkeys... Everything that was in the city and out in the fields, and then they also took all their women and children, taking as plunder everything else in the houses. Their, the violation of their sister, their response was violence, murder, and a massacre. What Simeon and Levi did was wrong on two levels. First of all, they acted deceitfully, they had no intention of allowing Shechem to marry their sister. There's no way they were going to allow that to happen. You know, The whole matter of do this and we'll allow you to marry her was a ruse. That was never going to happen. And secondly, they used the sign of the covenant, the seal of the covenant that God had given to Abraham as an instrument of death. As wrong as the massacre was, this was even worse, to take something that God had given to Abraham as you are now my people. I have chosen you. This is the sign of the covenant. And they use that as an instrument of death. How does Jacob respond? Well, first of all, I thought he, he totally wimped out when he, when he found out what happened to Dinah. But now that he finds out what his sons have done, look if you would, verse 30. In a word, it's fear. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. Not a word about Dinah. He's like Oh, no, you've made trouble. And not even a word about, well, you guys shouldn't have done that. It's like, you have put me in danger, me and my household. The surrounding peoples will join forces, and they will attack us, and they will destroy us. He doesn't say, listen, guys, you, were de- you acted deceitfully. And by the way, you took that very, very special thing that God gave to my grandfather, your great-grandfather, Abraham... And you used it as an instrument of death. Jacob is only thinking about self-preservation. He is still driven by fear. Their response at verse 31. But they replied should he have treated our sister like a prostitute. You know, at this point in the story. If you've never read the book of Genesis before. If you know nothing about the Bible. At this point you might think that God is going to wash his hands of Jacob. He has done all these things for Jacob And yet Jacob is still driven by fear And not by trust But we have seen that the story of Jacob Is one of grace Chapter 35 Then God said to Jacob Go up to Bethel and settle there And build an altar there to God Who appeared to you when you were fleeing From your brother Esau so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. In the midst of the darkness of these events Jacob seems to remember That God has been with me wherever I've gone It's almost as though he's like I shouldn't have stayed in Succoth I shouldn't have gone to Shechem I should have gone to Bethel And so he tells his household Listen, we're going to Bethel okay? Get rid of all the foreign gods Okay, already there's a problem Jacob knew there were foreign gods in his household That's not cool And he says, cleanse yourselves, bathe, put on fresh clothes. We're going to Bethel and we're going to worship God. And I find it really interesting. They did what he said. Um, God gave him three commands. Return to Bethel, settle there, build an altar there. Jacob gives his household three commands um, that they, in fact, are to get rid of the foreign gods. They are to bathe, they are to cleanse themselves and they are to put on fresh clothing Again, I think it's worth noting that Jacob knew that there were that people in his household were worshipping false gods and seemingly he did nothing about it We shouldn't be surprised he compromised by staying in Succoth he compromised by staying in Shechem why wouldn't he allow foreign gods false gods to be in his household It is interesting that God didn't say to Jacob, um, tell your people to get rid of all the false gods. He simply said, go to Bethel. And Jacob now understands that he cannot live a life of compromise. He has to obey God. He can't be in obedience and disobedience at the same time. He can't be in faith and unfaith, unbelief. He can't trust God but not trust God. And so when God says, go to Bethel, Jacob's like, okay, I'm going to do that. And by the way, to follow God means we can't follow other gods. And so he obeys God. And the result, look at verse number five. Then they set out and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob was so afraid when his sons massacred the people. Oh no, the Parasites, the Canaanites are going to gather together and come against us. Well, if you're living in unbelief, You'll live by fear But if you walk in faith God in fact Did keep his promise to him And kept them safe Now that he has obeyed God's protection is evident It had been there all along by the way But now Jacob has a sense of it Verse 6 Jacob and all the people with him Came to Luz that is Bethel In the land of Canaan And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, that is, God of Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel, so it was named Alon Bakuth. Jacob obeys. He builds an altar, and he calls the place El Bethel, the God of Bethel. Bethel means the house of God, So God of the house of God. And there we are told that Deborah this is the first time that her name is mentioned she was the nurse of Rebekah. Uh, if you go back a few chapters, when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac, found Rebekah, and she left with him, she took with him with her her nurse, who is unnamed. Here Deborah is called her nurse. Now, how she ended up with Jacob's household, we're not told. Did she go back home and then leave with Jacob? Uh, we're simply not told. What we are told is that she was buried under the oak near Bethel. It's a sort of a geographic uh, marker. Now, look at verse number 9. I, I find this fascinating. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him and blessed him appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, that's El Shaddai. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at that place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured uh, oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've been paying attention if you, if you can remember all these things. This is the third time that we are told that Jacob leaves Padan Aram. Okay. It's almost as though the author, Moses, is starting the story all over again. Um, it's like, you know, if you're reading, you're like, okay, Moses, we've already read this. Yes, we know he left Pat and Aram. And, but this part, he leaves out Succoth and he leaves out Shechem. And he tells the story of Jacob having a new name in a different way. He doesn't, mentioning, he doesn't mention the wrestling. Um... He simply says that Jacob is renamed Israel. I think that this repetition is almost like, okay, let's get this right, okay? He leaves, okay, and then he meets, and then he leaves, but he goes to Succoth and Shechem. And then he leaves, but now he's doing the right thing, he's going to Bethel. Again, I don't want to read too much into the text, but it is as though we are being told Jacob is being given another beginning. Okay, you left, and then you ended up wrestling with God and being reconciled to Esau. You left, but then you ended up in Shechem. You left, and now you're ending up in Bethel. And finally, after all this time, Jacob is getting it right. God repeats the promises That he made to Abraham To Isaac and now to Jacob And Jacob worships him In this stories We see Jacob's failure to obey God In fact had consequences In the life of his family He tried to live a life Of compromise He tried to live safe Safely if you wish um, He tried to obey God and not obey God at the same time. Okay, I left Laban and now I've come back, but I'm not going to go all the way. I'm going to sort of stay here in Sukkot and then I'm going to stay in Shechem. He worships God, but he doesn't obey God. Interestingly. He worships God, but he does not obey him. And compromise ultimately is disobedience. It is, he disobeys God but God is gracious to him. Again and again and again, God is gracious to Jacob. Is that not true in our lives as well? But grace is also shown to Levi, one of the two sons. Before he died in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob prophesied before he died, what would happen to his sons and their descendants and he goes son by son by son except he puts Simeon and Levi together. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Yeah, no, they're of the same mind. They are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. All these years later, all these years later, Jacob still remembers what they did at Shechem. And as a result of their actions, the members of their tribes, of their families, the tribe of Simeon, the tribe of Levi, they will not have a part, you a know, specific territorial part in the promised land. They will be scattered uh, throughout. Simeon will ultimately be absorbed by Judah in the south. Okay. But what about Levi? Levi was given 48 cities Throughout Canaan Levi The Levites The priests They are the ones Who were to teach God's people The law of God Levi's descendants Became the priest tribe This is grace This is absolutely grace By the way I was reminded last night Moses was from the tribe of Levi. Aaron from the tribe of Levi. And one could say, well, you know, they, they were scattered throughout the promised land. Aaron and Moses didn't even get to go in the promised land. But the Levites scattered, though they were, it was perfect because now since they are all over Israel, they can teach the people of God throughout Israel the law of God. God is gracious to them as he had been to Jacob Jacob a man who is driven by fear and not faith a man who lives a life of compromise at least up to this point disobeying God but worshipping him Um, and yet God is gracious as I said I I think at this point, I would want to wash my hands of him, but God is gracious to him. And it is through Jacob and one of his sons, Judah, that the Lord Jesus Christ will come, the Messiah will come, and it is all because of grace. Let's pray together. Father, I, I think we take grace for granted. As we heard in the quote from meditation that if we do not accept, if we don't own our wretchedness, then we will be filled with pride. On the other hand, if that's all we, we own is our wretchedness, then we will be filled with despair. And reading the story of Jacob, one one is tempted to despair. You had made promises time and time again. You had given him commandments. You wrestled with him. You gave him a permanent reminder of that wrestling by dislocating his hip. You changed his name. One would think he should now follow you and trust you in all things And that's not what we see I suspect, though, that we are more like Jacob than we care to admit We do not trust you as we should Trusting you doesn't mean an easy life, necessarily But it does mean resting in you And not in our own schemes, our own devices What we've looked at today is a difficult passage The story of Dinah is in fact tragic And the massacre of the people, the men of Shechem is Is horrible And yet through all of this You showed your grace To Jacob and his family And one day The Lord Jesus would come Through this family As we walk Through this world In a dark time By your grace May we be people of light May we be salt May we trust you Not in our own cleverness But recognize you as the God of all grace And in that vein we pray you would pour out your spirit on our country You would remove the blindness that seemingly has taken hold And show people the glory of yourself Your wonderful grace and mercy. Thank you for bringing us together today. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.